This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is Ringgit and Sense. Women in Malaysia account for half of the population and even 55% of enrolment in local universities. On paper, Malaysian women show a labour force participation rate of just over 55%, but the reality is many exit the workforce in their late 20s and 30s, usually due to family commitments. Meanwhile, there's still the pay in inequity as the median monthly income for women is 2,145 ringgit, and this is in 2021, compared to 2,315 for the same period for men, which actually means that women do need to consider financial planning maybe differently for men. So help to help us understand this, we have with us Regina Rahim, co-founder of Wahine Capital, a platform that gives users the tools, expertise and insights to be more financially secure in the face of unexpected life events. Thanks for joining us this morning. Now, you know, I like to do this program in terms of a, a, almost like a Q&A. I think that's the best way forward. So assuming I'm a young woman just starting to work, what's the most important financial decision I should take now or action and why? Yeah, that's a tough one, Sharining. I think uh, the first thing that uh, I would definitely advise, uh, and this is what I've been doing with my coaching clients, is to actually ask them to set goals for themselves one year, three years and five years. Because if you tell a 20-year-old or 25-year-old to start thinking about retirement planning at the age of 55 or something, that's just way too hard for them to actually comprehend, right? Mm. So yes, set the life goals. So it doesn't have to be financial in itself because I actually stay away from financial simply because if you think about it, we're all emotional beings. Yes. So whenever we make any decision, it's always driven by emotion, right? Whether it's good or bad. So by setting a goal one year, three year and five years, so you'll start seeing a connection between the one year and five years. And that's where they will start uh, actually changing their behavior, right? Mm. So let's say they're looking at the five year mark whereby they want to have bought a car or, or, you know, or a nice designer handbag or whatever it is. So to get to that point, they have to do certain things, which means either making, you know, having a budget, savings, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings up this point, um, you know, so let's say my salary is okay. I'm earning a decent wage, I, you know, uh, slightly above market average for a young graduate, uh, maybe around 4,000 ringgit. But the reality is that cost of everything has gone up so much. And for a young woman, I want to have a bit of a life, right? I want to enjoy myself. So in terms of, you know, what's the best way to advise this person that you do need to balance between spending and also saving? Yeah, so I think, you know, um, I, I I definitely do not tell my clients or people who come up to me to say that you've got to suddenly live, live, live such a frugal life to the point that you don't enjoy yourself, right? So you want to be able to go on little holidays or uh, shop or whatever, but always also have that little savings, right? So mm-hmm. which is why, to me, uh, dollar cost averaging is excellent because that also means that whether you don't have to do, worry about timing the market. Yes. You don't have to worry about the fact that there's, you know, market fluctuations, etc. and stuff like that. So if you're consistent about it, right, uh, if you think about it, if you think about whether it's Dow Jones or S&P 500, if you have, ta- if you, if you take like a 20 to 25 year 
uh, type of time frame, mm. you're nef- definitely going to be making money, right? And it doesn't matter how much you start saving with, right? right. Just even a hundred yeah. ringgit is a good or start. Or even fifty ringgit, right? So because if you think about it, things are so expensive now, and inflation comes in and all that, you definitely need to have a little bit saved up. And I think for many who joined the workforce for the first time, I was like, oh, suddenly my health insurance is covered and my company is paying for me. I should be all right. But is that a, a false mindset I should have? Should I start considering protection even at that early age? Well, I don't know about you, but when I first started my, my career, the, the first commitment I did was actually with an insurance uh, agent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I don't think it's too early, but I think also with the new generation, what you're seeing is that they don't they're not committed to one one employer for you know five years or more. So you'll see that they're actually a lot more clued in. Mm. So they actually have separate uh, separate uh, coverage already. You know. Yeah, and I suppose yeah. more of us are doing freelance work rather than right, being yeah. committed to a single exactly. company. Exactly. So, and it does pay off to have health insurance earlier, right? Usually the premiums are lower when you... And then you're healthier as well, right? You don't you have... Gen- any- <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. That is a fair generalization yeah. to make, right? Uh, but the but how often should you review these plans? Because, yeah, I joined the workforce. I got this fantastic salary, 4000 Hopefully, it will continue to rise. So, how often do I should I, as a young woman, or even as I get older make these adjustments to my financial plan and re-look at my earnings, my commitments? How regular should I do that? Well, I guess it depends on your time frame, right? So if you're young, then you can you can afford to say, I'll just re-look at it every two or three years. But if you're at our age, if it's, it's more like every six months, right? <laughs> it's like, because you're revealing too much. But yes, we're not exactly <laughs> spring chickens. That's true. <laughs> So the older you get, the more often you need to relook at it. That's the general rule of thumb. Yeah, because if you think about it, even in terms of medical insurance coverage, right, The one of the pitfalls of medical insurance would also be the fact that a lot of us don't realise what the coverage is until it's too late. You, no one reads the fine print, right? So for instance, you can be getting medical insurance, but let's say you're diagnosed within six months of, of getting that insurance coverage. Mm. Um, you would actually have the insurance company possibly dispute the fact that they should be covering you. So let's say if you get you get diagnosed with cancer, because they'll then argue that you actually had that underlying condition. Yes. Uh, before before you actually started getting their coverage, and you were just buying it before. So you always need to look at all the yeah everything frequently, whatever find whatever uh, be it protection or investments that you have, right? That's yeah. the point. And then if you think about it, also cancer is now an aging disease. Yeah, yeah. it's no longer a, a Russian roulette type thing, right? No, and unfortunately, it seems like you can get it at any age or so. It's one in seven women yeah. will get breast cancer. Yeah, that's the that's the sad sad state of the yeah. statistics. Now, at the same time, women are still paid less than men on average. This is, you know, um, Department of Statistics tells us this. So, it should lead to less savings like EPF and also less yeah. income to invest. But, you know, in this is a bit of career advice. In Asian cultures, we don't really like to talk about pay. And certainly, we may be a little bit hesitant to even talk about it to our bosses. You know, what's... What's your advice for women wanting to overcome this gender pay gap if there's one in the in where they work or where they work currently? Okay, let me just start off with sharing some stats, yeah. Mm. So at the age of 54, if you look at the EPF annual report, women are practically 30% uh, less savings than the men, right? So that could be a function, like you said, you know, career breaks or, you know, the fact that we don't ask for 
as much money, right? Or so equal because, amount of money. We don't we even hesitate to do that. Well, yeah. So I think the younger generation are more open in terms of sharing what they, they earn. But I do also find that, you know, during my, my career in corporate, it was the fact that when I ask or when I interview a, a woman, you know, so how much do you want, you know, for the for the job? And they'll always go, what do you, you know, I, just pay me what you think is appropriate. Or I don't want to say, I, I'm not comfortable, blah, blah, blah. But you interview the men and they go like, oh, I want 30% more than what I was paid before. So, you know, the men are quite happy to raise up their hands and say, I demand more. And so what happens is that, you know, and just the hiring team will definitely hire the woman at a lesser pay because they're saying that's what the woman wanted. Mm. So it's not as if it's purely biasness from the hiring, uh, you know, manager. So it's women also, have to speak up. Correct. Yeah. We exactly. need to know our worth, right? Before right. we go for an interview and ask for it. Do the research, right? Find out what should you be paid. Yeah. And don't hesitate, right? But then, on, so what happens if you have been underpaid? I mean, it, uh, and you already have less savings. How do we overcome this though? I mean, how do we actually then prepare for a better retirement? Well, or do we have to work, make our savings work even harder, unfortunately? Yeah, because we're living longer as well, right? So if you look at start looking at the, the fact that we're living on average five years longer, we are also, we're usually getting married earlier than the men. So that's about, so basically 10 years on average. But global stats will actually tell you that a woman will be living on their own for at least 20 years. Yeah. So how do we prepare, prepare for that, actually? Because so I think many people assume that, you know, they're going to retire with their spouse together and maybe the spouse will look after them materially as well. 90% so, of us are dependent on our spouses or our fathers or our brothers for any financial advice. When it comes to financial decisions, investment decisions, we leave it to the men, which is really funny considering that we're going to be living on our own mm. uh, most of our lives, right? Quite, quite a significant amount of our lives. So definitely we need to take take charge and we need to get out of the mindset of just putting our money in fixed deposits. Lah. Okay. You know? And then having that conversation, let's say you're married with a spouse to say that you want to take charge. Is, is that the first step? And I wonder whether all men are going to be so receptive actually. Well, I've always told people, choose your, choose your husband very carefully, <laughs> right? Because, you know, to have that conversation is clearly not easy when it comes to money. I mean, one of the... The major causes of divorce is basically money, For money sure. issues, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, you need to have that conversation. It's not an easy conversation, but perhaps not put it in such a way that I'm taking charge. It's more than the fact that um, you, we need to be open about it, and you know, let's have that talk about exactly what are the assets. Because uh, as per your session yesterday with a lawyer, right? Mm. It's talking about how you know divvying up that assets after marriage and all that can be very, very painful, very hurtful yeah. as well, right? Yeah. So it would, it would on some level make sense for for a couple to plan their finances together, but there's also, I suppose, no harm for you to also have some independence on some of those decisions which are just catered for you because you're going to live much longer. Is that the right yeah, way to approach yeah, it? definitely. I mean, I tell my daughter, I say, even if you meet Prince Charming who happens to be, you know, a billionaire, I say, please always have financial independence to a point, right? Have that nest so that if anything happens, if whether it's death, divorce or whatever, mm. you, you, you've you got a way out, right? You're not going to be completely at loss. Because I've seen friends who, you know, who've got, there's a girlfriend of mine, six kids, husband just left, up and left. 
she didn't even have enough money to get herself divorced. Yeah, and I think at the same time, when you have some financial independence, you can then make the decisions on your own. I mean, you will still consult, uh, but there's some freedom within that. It's freedom, and exa- that's exactly it, right? Because the thing is, it's not a number. When you talk about financial independence or talk about retirement, a lot of people are very focused on the number. So if you throw a person, say, 10 million, 10 million to me and you might be just sufficient. For some people, it might be too much or whatever. Mm. But it it's not the number because you've got to think about inflationary uh, issues. Medical inflation is also very, very high. And, uh, you know, things are just changing so rapidly, right? Yeah, that's true. On Ring Incense today is Regina Rahim, co-founder of Wahine Capital. When we come back, how to maintain your financial independence even after marriage. BFM 89.9. Stay tuned for Ring It and Sense, brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Ring It and Sense. Joining me is Regina Rahim, co-founder of Wahine Capital. Before the break, why is it so important for women to take charge of their own finances? Now, conversations about money between couples, like we say, never easy, right? And in think there's even more so when children come into the picture because there's additional financial pressures. It's not just about the two of us going on our little holidays. Now we have to plan for future education. It's extremely expensive. So how would you advise women to talk about this with their partners and the lifestyle adjustments that invariably come? Because you, you have kids, right, Regina? I've got two adults, yeah. No, I think I think we've always, from the very beginning when we had kids, and uh, unfortunately, I think at that point in time, we got married so early that we didn't think about planning. The babies just came and all that, and we were just throwing it into the deep end. But basically, you know, whether it's tax, filing, or whatever, one one person took uh, took one kid, another took one kid. Lah, but essentially, we, we divided up. Oh, you divided the kids? Yeah. Literally. Literally. <laughs> Say, okay. You claim for one kid, I claim for one kid, okay? Are you uh, then responsible for each kid's education? I mean, or how does it work? So, is there a joint so, nest egg for the for the well, joint education fund? How did, What's the so, best way? So, okay, so we should not be the example because we were quite hopeless at it. Uh, looking back, we should have done things better. We should have had a proper tabung as such. Mm. But essentially, I took care of certain things and my husband took care of certain things. Um, uh, yeah, so... But your advice would probably be... Uh, yeah, actually put a proper number to it and actually budget it properly and rather than say, okay, you know, this and that and just throw it to the wind and hope things will settle nicely. Right? Yeah, so as a household income, you know your your number, how much you own and then uh, how much you make, sorry, and then you put a certain percentage aside Correct. month on month, right, for yeah. the child's education, yeah. whether it's a, uh, put it into a savings account, which I know you don't recommend, but or make the money work a little bit harder. Definitely, I would definitely put it in a, you know, so I, I will not put everything in one savings account. I would have possibly break it out into, you know, higher returns. Lah, you mm. know? Because I think definitely that's something that, you know, if you think about bursa, bursa returns. <laughs> not great. You know that? Not yeah. great in the last few years. Correct. Especially yeah. in the last 25 years, hardly anything, right? Yes. Mm. Um, and how do we then, you know, we talked about this, this pay gap issue. Uh, and I, I'm really curious from a, from a female perspective, right? At what, and this doesn't help because sometimes we even take gaps in our career. Yeah. You know, we are forced to, just because of circumstances, sometimes we want to also. We want to spend time with our children. So we, we, 
we stop working for a few years or we take time now commonly among my circles to look after our parents, yeah. right? How do we plan for this realistically and what adjustments then do we have to make knowing that we might be doing or we're already doing it currently? Yeah, so the problem in Malaysia is because we're, uh, you know, it's a patriarchal society, right? So that has to come back to the individual to figure out. Whereas if you live in other countries like Japan, you actually can take out uh, insurance for it. So there's dementia insurance, not just for yourself, but as a caretaker as well. Mm. You could actually say, okay, I will get annuity payments so that that would actually help me, uh, you know, uh, navigate that few years that I can't earn any income because it's a full-time job, right? Yes. Uh, of taking care of aging parents. So that's something that is going to be more and more common in Malaysia because you already see that we're, we are actually almost aged society. We are aging and uh, rapidly, right? Mm. So, And then just career advice also. Um, for these women who have taken that career gap uh, and they want to go back into the workforce, do you think perceptions have changed towards hiring them in among companies? Do companies still think, hmm, this woman gave up, you know, can she really do the job? What kind of conversation should you have with future employers, you know, to explain that, you know, I'm back to work, I'm serious about it? And do you think there's less discrimination? I think the discrimination is still there. I think until we get a volume of people, uh, that's when the, the, the mindset will shift. Mm. You know, that paradigm shift is not going to happen as of yet. Because you can still still see a lot of people who hesitate to come back, right? And that's when you'll start seeing that they're doing um, home businesses, right? Whether it's baking or whatever. Mm. Because the fear of coming back, of actually saying that I've taken time out. And you see professionals who are super qualified and they're scared as well. So there's, um, there's this company called Hire Seniors as yes. well. Yeah. So, um, and I think that's, that's a great idea. But how many corporates would actually, corporates or businesses would actually take the, the older crowd, right? Yeah. Or women that want to come back to the workforce, right? Yeah. Because there's certain biasnesses there when it comes yeah. to things. Uh, that requires a lot more conversation, I think, with the company. A change of mindset, a complete change of mindset. Yeah, but now... With, maybe more women, I, maybe more women as bosses also. Yeah. Yeah, so once you have, you know, the, also the fact that now you've got a lot of DEI initiatives and stuff, I think there's a lot more recognition uh, but yeah, you need to have a lot more diversified workforce, right? So the different women, are, and it's got to be different mindsets as well. Okay, the other thing about this is the lack of financial information available out there. And this comes down to financial literacy in Malaysia overall. Not, it isn't even really taught in schools. And it should be, if you ask me, it should be part of the curriculum, maybe from a younger age. But for women... What do they need to know? Where can they go to find out more information to empower themselves? Actually, you'll be very surprised. There's a lot more going on uh, than you realise. I so just, hope so. This is good news. Yes, yes, it is good news. So actually, social media is now, you know, there's so many uh, resources available. So it's just a matter of you looking at it. So it's either Instagram or TikTok if you're... If you, it's like too long, don't read type of person. But how do you know their advice is legitimate? Like, so, I mean, you know, like really good go, advice. You have to go through that. So like for me, I do, I like reading, right? So so I really like this book called Psychology of Money uh, by Morgan Hustle. There's also another book like My Money, My Way, which is Kumiko Love. Love. Um, but those are foreign books. Mm. So a local one that uh, I have yet to read, but I'm hearing really good things about it is uh, Suraya Zainuddin's 
bergaji dan pokai. Yeah, she's been on our, our ringgit yeah. sense actually and yeah. gave very practical advice actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's a lot more localised. Right? And I think that's very, very practical. And, you know, so so there's also, I'm also looking on Instagram there, some of these financial planners are a lot more social media savvy, you know, telling you what you need to do. But it's also what you want out of it, right? So it's got to be something that you... With financial planning, financial literacy, there's actually a lot of self-reflection. People don't don't think about it, but there's a, a lot of self-reflection required because you've got to start organizing all your stuff, right? And mm-hmm. figuring out what do I have, what I don't have, how much liabilities I have, what else that I need to do, right? So I think this is where technology will actually be quite, quite useful, you know, like if there's behavioral analytics and all that to sort of nudge you in the right way. Yeah. But perhaps all you need for the very, uh, if you're going to start, is just a pen and a paper to get you going. Correct. Yes, of course. And an admittance that, you know, it starts with me now. Yes, yes. But there's a lot of resources out there, you know, retirement cal- uh, calculators and all sorts of things that can actually tell you, okay, what sort of number you should be looking at, right? Yeah. And I think it doesn't really matter how old you are. The point is you just need to start immediately because you want to have that financial freedom as yeah. soon as possible. No, definitely. Because my fear, my personal fear is the pension crisis that will be happening in a couple of years, right? Mm. So 85, 85% of Malaysians only have 10,000 ringgit or less in EPF. And that's also similar stats in PNB funds, right? So if you think about that, that's nothing. You're not going to be able to survive. And uh, that's going to be a real burden to to the government, right? Yeah. So uh, basically start now, start early if you can yes. and be honest about your your goals. And maybe like you say, if you're just starting out, have one, three, five year goals yeah, rather. Time, yeah, yeah. And have that that bit of reflection. Correct. Yeah. On the note, thank you for your time. On Ringy and Says today was Regina Rahim. Co-founder of Wahine Capital, I'm Wong Shaoning, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia, your lifetime insurance and takaful partner. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.